and whoever followed Jesus and surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit never regretted it. Never. This is the church. This is what the world needs. God wants to unleash us as his church. He wants to unleash you. He wants to feel the power of his spirit that not only commissions you to his mission, but empowers you to see your life change. So hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 6. We'll look at the first seven verses as we're continuing on in this series and journey called Resurgence, where we're walking through the book of Acts on, on Sunday mornings, and then on, in our, during the week in our community groups, we're digesting it deeper. What does it mean for our lives? And then as well, we're living out this rhythm called love and touching people around us in our community. And so the whole journey of this, this series is to allow God to reestablish the rhythm of life that he intended for the church 2,000 years ago, looking to the past to take hold of the future. And so this morning, we're we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture that, that I know when I originally read when I was younger and then I've read over and over and over again, it captures t- for me the importance of living what we would call, but I think it really should be called normal Christianity, but we would call it a, a spirit-filled life, a spirit-empowered life in every aspect of who we are. This morning, the, the title message is Empowered to Serve. And when we, what we're going to look at in a passage is that the, the power of the Holy Spirit shows up in a context that you and I normally wouldn't apply it to. But it applies to everything, a part of what it means to follow Jesus. But as we, we look at this passage today, particularly, we'll talk about the specifics of it. But I, I want us to see something that, that I think is so important. And I want you to hear me before we even get into this. This is not going to be a ploy for you to find, to serve in some hole that we have in some ministry. There's no clipboards in the lobby. There's no people trying to sign you up for ministries. This is about surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so that God can empower you to contribute to this beautiful thing called the church. And the reason this is so important, because last week we talked about this and we were seeing it, that I really, and again, I'm stealing this from Erwin McManus when he wrote his book, Unstoppable Force, but the real title was supposed to be The Church That Jesus Dreams Of, that I really believe that the church that Jesus designed in the book of Acts is the church that Jesus dreams of, and he still dreams today and desires his bride to be this church. And so I want us to just to see a picture that kind of gives us an idea of what we're gonna talk about today. I want you to take a look at the screens. This is called the, the Gypsy Girl, and it is a mosaic that dates back to the second century in, in Turkey, and it was discovered in an archaeological find. And obviously you look at it, and, and you're thinking, is, what's the imagery here? Are they trying to keep this girl silent so they took her mouth away, and what's going on here? What's happened is this beautiful mosaic, which is made up of literally thousands of pieces that are placed together to, to form her face, that once it was discovered and it passed various hands through the years, uh, over time, thieves had actually stolen pieces of this mosaic, little small pieces, and this is what's left. This is what they could kind of put together uh, to, to resemble what it originally was. In fact, the, the, the museum that it, it now rests in has been so uh, desirable to have this as a full, complete picture, they actually have started an initiative and a fundraiser to help raise funds to track down every last piece of this mosaic so it'll be complete. Because they so believe that the full beauty of this mosaic can't be seen until all the pieces are brought together. And I'm convinced that this is exactly what I believe God sees when he looks down at the church. He loves his church, the church is his beautiful bride, but he looks at it and said there's pieces missing. 
There's pieces of beauty that haven't come to, to the place of being empowered to serve and to contribute to the collective whole of what it looks like. And so it's similar to what thieves have done to this mosaic, the enemy has done to the church by disqualifying us or giving us reasons why we don't engage in serving the needs of other people. And so this morning, I want you to have that image because I believe many of us in this room, or, or maybe some of us, maybe a few of us, are those missing pieces. And Jesus is calling us back to his church to serve his purpose in the church and what that looks like for each one of our lives. So if you have your Bibles, let me read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6, and then we'll talk through uh, what we're seeing here. So verse 1 says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramethus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, and these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, when you and I read that, because we don't see like any miraculous healings or crazy stuff happening, we're just, what are we reading about? We're reading what we would classify as a benevolence need which we encounter all the time. Somebody can't provide for themselves, so they have a need, so they come to the church for have that need met. Somebody distributes some kind of resource, and then their need is met. That's how we, we process things today. But when you read this passage, that's not what we're seeing transpire. It's something much grander, much bigger, much more important, much more valuable that's happening than just this dispense of some kind of benevolence assistance to somebody in need. What we'll talk about eventually, what's embedded in this, is what, what's coming out of the scriptures is this. Every single need that you and I are to meet in the church and serve comes through being empowered by the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that is insignificant. There is nothing that is secondary. Everything is a priority, which we'll look at in this passage. But to understand what's going on and why there's this tension that's going on in the passage is because there's two groups that are identified. There's the Hellenists and there's the Hebrews. Hellenists were somewhat Jews, they were, they're, they're Hebrews and they're Jewish by, by descent, by birth, but they don't live in the promised land. They live outside, they're dispersed. And so for those who are the Hebrews of Hebrews, who live in Jerusalem and live in Judea, they're kind of, they view themselves as the pure breeds. They're the ones that have the, the elite status. But the Hellenists are the ones that are from the outside kind of coming back in, and so they would marginalize them. So it's, it's, no, it's no surprise that, the, that even amongst the widows, they would say, hey, you're not really Jewish like I am. You're not really Hebrew like I am, so we should come first and you should come second because we were here and we never left, but you did. That was what was going on there. And why this is such even a bigger issue is not only the tension between those two groups, but because it was an honor to be buried in the promised land, it was an honor to be buried in Jerusalem or in Judea, when a, when a woman would lose her husband, who was a Hellenist, who lived outside of Judea, they would automatically migrate back to the homeland so that when she died, she would be buried there, and it was an honor to be buried. So can you imagine what that would do? That, that means every widow in the surrounding area, even outside of Palestine, when their husband would die, they would migrate back to Jerusalem and to Judea. What do you think that would do? 
that would create a high population of widows in that context. So this is a significant thing that's happening in the church, and they're figuring out how do we handle this. And so from this passage, there's six things going through the first six verses that highlight why serving is so important, why it's so invaluable, why you and I have to understand what God is talking about, and how really his desire is for all of us to collectively contribute to the purpose that he gives to us. So look at, look at verse 1. Understanding the value of serving, first of all, has to do with this. It has to do with this fact. All needs are important to someone. So look at what's happening in the passage. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So now, if let's just put yourself in this situation. You're an able-bodied person. You're not living by yourself. You're not widowed. You have a job. You have means. You can take care of yourself. You can feed yourself. You can make sure you have a roof over your head. There's nothing you need because you make a really good income. This is not an important need to you. Because in your mind, you have your needs met, you've worked a job, you have resources, nobody needs to take care of you, so this is something that needs to be taken care of, but it's not important to you. What if you don't have a job, you don't have means to make a job, you don't have anybody to cover, you don't have anybody to fall back on, and you run out of resources? This becomes a very significant need in your life. It almost comes to the point of survival. Which means for you and I to understand about every need in the church, every need in the body of Christ is important to somebody. Every need in the world is important to somebody who has that need, even though it may not be significant to you. Here's an example of this. I don't know if he's always oh, right there. I'm gonna, I told him I warned him about this. So Scott Coe, who's on our, on our safety team today, Scott is a crossing guard for, for uh, our schools, and uh, he does a great job. He's on a corner near my house. He's on the corner of L.A. and Simi Village Drive, or Socrates, as it goes across the street there. And uh, he serves a very vital purpose. He doesn't have a lot of traffic during the day. I don't know, Scott, what's the estimate? Eight to ten kids with moms or, or families a, a day, so it's not high volume. But I know that corner well because when I go out and I run, I exercise, I'll pass by Scott and we'll talk for a few moments. But I have literally dodged cars going about 60 miles an hour. Make, you know, we all know yellow doesn't mean slow down. Yellow means hit the gas, right? And that's what people do there. They don't want to miss the light. Or there's some blind areas when cars are in the, in the left-hand turn lane. It's a dangerous intersection. Now, let's just all be honest here. Anytime, has you ever come when a crossing guard steps out and you're like, oh, man, they're going to have to walk out way across. They're blowing their whistle. They have their little vest. They have their stop sign. And I need to get through this intersection. Be honest. Anybody ever felt that? Why? Because that need for you wasn't very important. Your, 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 your priority was to get through the intersection and not have to slow down. But then the crossing guard steps in. Why? Because there are people crossing that street that the need for that crossing guard to be there is so important for them. For every mom who takes their third grader to walk across that street and pushes her, their two-year-old in a stroller who doesn't want to get hit by a car, that need is important to them. And that's why when I look at Scott every morning when I go by him, I, I value the fact that Scott's out there no matter what the temperature is. He's bundled up some days. Other days, it's not so much with the heat in Simi Valley. But he's there. Why? Because for at least those 10 families, he serves a very important need. In the church, every need is valuable. Every need is important. Every need is somebody's need that we are called to meet. Second thing, number two, look at verse two. All needs are equally valuable, equally valuable. It says, and the 12 summoned the, whole, the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Now, many of us, we would interpret that and say, well, what are the apostles saying? Well, we, we preach the word. We pray. That's really important. We can't, be, we can't be disturbed to serve tables and take care of widows' needs. That's not something we're supposed to, that's not at all what they're saying. 
This is such an important thing. Do you catch what it says? It says they called the full number of the disciples. The full number. We don't at this point, that's as many people they could probably gather. It wasn't the apostles. It was the full number of disciples. That would be the equivalent of us taking a Sunday morning. Instead of doing our normal service, we would call everybody in who's a part of Antioch and say, hey, we got an issue. We need to care for widows and someone needs to step up. So who's going to step up? That would be the equivalent of what's going on. The full number. Why? Because this is important. But what the apostles are saying is, listen, we've been giving the gift of ministering the word in prayer, but somebody else has the gift of distributing food to widows. And so we're going to find out who that is because this is equally valuable. And this is so important in the church. We miss this all the time. We have a priority list, a pecking order of what's really valuable and what's not so valuable. And this is one of the areas I hear all the time. And no offense if, this is, if you said this, okay? Well, I don't want to be an usher, I mean, every, anybody can be an usher, right? You just basically have to have a pulse, right? Yeah, you guys are awkward, like, because there's ushers in the room. I know they're in the room, right? There's Daryl and Mike back there, and I don't know, there's Alex over there. And so it's like, well, I don't want to do something more important than being an usher. What is that saying? Well, there's things that are more important, like, Pastor John, what you do, yeah, with the worship teams, whatever thing happens up here, that's the most important thing. No, everybody collectively contributes. See, you don't have the perspective I have. You don't stand in the back on Sundays during worship and watch how hard our usher team works or how wonderful our greeting greeters are out in the lobby and greeting people coming in. I can't count how many Sundays I've watched our ushers clean up multiple, multiple, multiple coffee spills on our concrete. They have to wear athletic shoes on some Sundays because they're running so fast. You're like, oh, no, I have coffee. Yeah, be careful because the ushers are running. They take care of things. In fact, the ushers only get noticed when they don't do their job, right? Oh, that usher should have collected this basket. I'm sitting here with this offering. Hurry up and get up here, right? None of you have ever done that, I know. <laughs> but what are we saying? We're saying that there are certain things that are more important. No, no, no. What this passage is saying, there are things, all things are equally valuable. They're very important. And they have to be viewed that way because when everybody does their job collectively, what are we? we're the beautiful mosaic that God created us to be. But when we somehow look at priorities differently, we miss out on the fact that we all collectively contribute to God's purpose. So I want you to watch just a short clip from the movie Sully about Captain Sullenberger and his, the miracle on the Hudson where he landed a plane without, on, on a river without a loss of one life, which is a miracle. And when he's being, they're going through the hearings on the crash and they're, they're walking through it, they eventually realize what an amazing job he did, which is I think really by the grace of God landed that plane. But they start giving him credit, and then his response to what they say, which is so appropriate for that setting, but so appropriate for the church. So let's take a look at this together. We all did it. We all did our jobs. That means there's no job that's insignificant. Everything is valuable. That, that, this is only the miracle on the Hudson because everybody contributed to what happened. And we have to see that Although it's significant that they landed a plane and saved over 150 people's lives, but the church has an even higher calling than that. That Jesus has chosen his bride to be the instrument in the world to save the world. That's a pretty big task, and it requires all of us collectively coming together to serve God's purpose. And that's why we have to be reminded of how valuable the needs are around us. Third thing, look at verse 3. All needs require depth as much as duty. Verse 3 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So I want you to let this settle in. We would think, ah, it's just benevolence need. Come on, someone can just distribute, have a little compassion, distribute a little bit of food, and the widows will be fine. No, they, what did they say? 
They said, no, what, what these people do are as important as who they are. That they're full of God's spirit, that they're full of wisdom, not full of themselves, to do this very important thing, which applies across the board to everything that we do. Is that, that who you are is an outflow of what you will do. That means that God wants to fill you with his spirit, empower you because he wants you to do something that is, that is greater and bigger than who you are, but it's a reflection of what he's doing in your life. Whether it may be ushering or greeting or media team or children or youth or worship team or whatever it is, it's a reflection of who you are. Here's an example for this. Is that when I first, my first ministry assignment was out in Ventura at Horizon Foursquare Church, and when I came on staff, the, the church had, had been there for a long time, and there were so many faithful saints that had sustained and f- were faithful to the Lord through that church for so many years. And I was kind of getting there on the tail end of a lot of them either retiring or some of them passing away because they'd been a part of the church. And so there was this, this contingent of those who were in their late 70s, early 80s. And I remember hearing about, and then I remember getting to know her briefly before she passed away, a woman who, had, who, had, who was a Sunday school teacher in that church for nearly 40 years. Her name's Rhoda Porter. I know Kim's parents remember Rhoda. And I remember, and she wasn't the only one, there was a group of these women who had been faithful to the Lord and faithful to the church. And so for 40 years, without a break, she taught Sunday school. How did Rhoda Porter teach Sunday school for 40 years without taking a break? Because Rhoda was faithful because the Holy Spirit empowered her to be faithful. So her very duty of teaching Sunday school was an outflow of the faithfulness of God in her life that was demonstrated to the kids. Think about this. 40 years. That's generations of children that were touched by this woman's faithfulness to show up every Sunday and to tell them about Jesus. That is amazing. That's what it's looked like. Well, I don't know if I can do 40 years. I can barely even show up to church every Sunday, right? I mean, let's be honest. But I want you to think about that there's, for those of you who grew up in the church, you've probably had a Rhoda Porter touch your life. Someone who was faithful, who saw themselves as a piece of the mosaic that says, even though it's hard, even though I'm busy, even though there's a million of the things I should be doing with my life, I'm going to show up and I'm going to invest myself in what God is doing through the church. That's what this, this is supposed to be. This is, this is supposed to be this collective, this, this team of people that works together to invest in what God is doing in the church. And then there's the fourth thing. Look at verse 4. This is really important. All needs are interconnected. So it says in verse 4, the apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what is going on here? They say, listen, we have an issue. We can't, we don't have enough people. We can't do it to take care of the widows and this distribution of food. And so, but if it's not going to get done, someone has to do it. So that means the apostles, you could tell, they're entertaining the thought of maybe we have to put aside what we're called to do and we have to do what's in front of us. What does that do? It's a domino effect in the church. That when we think, ah, you know, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will meet that need. Why? Because there's plenty of people in the church to meet the need. So somebody else, we don't realize that God has purposed all of us collectively to work together. And so when one need goes unmet and somebody else has to shift to meet that need, then guess what happens? It just keeps going down the line. It creates this hole. It creates this gap. And so then people either have to stop doing what they're doing or they have to do multiple things because... There's these missing pieces of the mosaic that have yet to be put into place for God's purpose. And that, that means that everything is connected to everything. We had 
a couple people for various reasons in the scheduling for even today couldn't couldn't fulfill their duties and we've actually right now we have two people fulfilling three jobs during both services today to make sure it happens that's hard that's not sustainable now there's a, not a lot of diff there's a lot of different reasons why those th kind of things happen but that means that everything's interconnected that means like if we decide to sideline ourselves then somehow a need is not going to get met and somebody else is going to suffer in the process here's an example you don't have to be a football fan to get this if you saw the movie blindside you get the concept so the term blindside in football comes primarily re in regards to the left side of what's called the offensive line. That's when the team has the ball. And so when we think of a football team, we normally think of the, the talent positions. That's what we call them, the skilled positions. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, receiver. That's what we think of. And so primarily you think of the quarterback as kind of like the head honcho, the most important piece. But there's, there's 10 other players on the field at one time. And there's another one that's particularly important for a quarterback in the NFL. That's the left tackle. And that's because the majority of quarterbacks in the NFL are right-handed. And if you've ever watched a football game, when a right-handed quarterback drops back to pass, he turns to the right, and he turns his back to the left. And that means that he can see what's in front of him down the field, and he can see what's to the right side, but he has a blind spot. He can't see behind him, and that's the left side, and that's the left tackle's responsibility to make sure that the blocking is good on the left side of the line so that he doesn't get blindsided in the middle of a play. So how many times, if you're a football fan, have you watched and seen the left tackle get the interview in the MVP at the end of the game? Zero. Why? Because it's the quarterback, it's the running back, it's the person that made the great play. But you never hear about the lineman unless they blow it, unless there's a penalty or they do something wrong. But if that left tackle doesn't block every single play, that quarterback never passes the ball, that running back never gets through the hole, and that team never has a chance to win the game. Why? Because all 11 players are interconnected on a football team. Every single member of the body of Christ is interconnected with each other. And so when we choose to not serve and we choose to pull out, that means somebody else has to pull the weight that we've been intended to have, the responsibility that God wants to give us collectively to be a part of what he's doing in the church. And there's two more things. The, third, or the fifth thing to understand what serving looks like is to understand that all needs can be met by any person. Now already I know some of you are like, no way, not all needs can be met by any person. No? Look what it says in verse 5. It says, when they, they said this, this pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, and Paramethus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. You're like, biblical names, big deal. I can't pronounce them. We always trip over them. We don't know what to say about them. But you don't know what's going on in the passage. All of those names are Greek names. That means most likely that all seven of the people that they are choosing to take care of the needs of the widows are Hellenists. They're not pure Jews. Remember Hellenists, Hebrews, the separation? The Hellenists were the outsiders. So who do they pick? They pick the outsiders. They pick the marginalized. They pick the people that nobody else would pick to say, now you're going to take on this very important task of making sure that the needs of the widows are cared for under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is intentional. This is intentionally orchestrated by God to demonstrate that if you are living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you have the capacity to fulfill roles that you don't think you can or other people think you can't either. 
It's true of all of us, because I know this is true, because how many times have you said, oh, I can't do that. I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not good enough. I, don't, I can't do that. Well, that's because you're looking at your own inventory of your own skills and your own gifting apart from what God wants to do in your life. Newsflash, if you think that you're the only one that feels inadequate, read the Bible. Every single leader that God called to do something all felt inadequate at one time or another. They all had the conversation with God, which when God calls them, they all have the same conversation. Um, God, I think you got the wrong person. And you know what you will never find in Scripture? You will never hear God reply like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Moving on to the next person. You never find that. Why? Because God never picks the wrong person. Because he knows if you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, then every point of inadequacy is taken care of. And that's why you and I have to see ourselves. That's why, and here's the thing, God doesn't care about your excuses. They don't work with God. It doesn't matter if you're not gifted or if you're too busy or if you have other things going. God has called you to be a part of his church, and we call it mission. But what is mission? Mission is discipleship. It's making people, introducing people to Jesus and helping them to become like him so that ultimately they will focus their lives on living for him. That's what we're about as a church. That's what the church is about. Every point of what we do in the church, from ushering to greeting to media to children to youth to worship, is all about one thing, discipleship, the mission of God in the world. That's what it's about. And so God says, listen, you're supposed to contribute and be a part of that. What part do you have? It's not, it's not whether you get to choose if you're going to have one or not. It's just whether or not what you're going to choose it to be. What is it that God's called you to do? See, you and I always look at our gifting and think, ah, I can't make a difference. It's like the, 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 you've probably heard this story a couple times. If you read the book, you've read this. Um, many of you know Lance Ford, who's spoken in our church a number of times. He and Brad Briscoe wrote a book called The Missional Quest. I know many people have read it. But he shares a story in that book about an older woman who's widowed, living in an apartment. And you, you, when you, before you read the story, just think about this. What can an 80-year-old woman by herself, living in an apartment, do to fight vandalism and crime in her neighborhood? Probably nothing, Right? except for the fact that if she will just do what she's gifted to do, God can use it. So she realized that she didn't have a lot to offer, but she wanted to make a difference. So she was opening her eyes, God, what can I do? So she noticed every morning that a group of kids would gather in front of her apartment because they were waiting for the school bus. And you know what kids do when they have nothing to do? The wrong thing, right? So vandalism was up, and they were do breaking things, and it just was in the and the property managers were trying to figure out what to do with these kids, and so they couldn't figure out what to do. So one morning she decides, I'm going to make muffins. I do that good, so I'm going to make some muffins. I'm going to take it out to the kids, and so she did that. And when she first came out, they were like, "What are you doing? Are they for sale?" She says, "No, free." And so they started eating them. And the next day, those kids brought more of their friends, and they said, "No, seriously, she makes free muffins. You can have them." And so more kids came, and more kids came. And before you know it, like a month went by, and there comes a knock on the door. It's the property manager. And she's like, oh, no, I'm in trouble for making muffins, and I'm causing problems, and you know what's... And the property manager says, hey, listen, we want you to help us with something. She goes, whatever I can do. They, she said, listen, he said, we've had a difficulty with vandalism in the complex. Things are getting broken. Kids are messing stuff up. But he said, we heard that you're making muffins. And ever since you started making muffins, we have almost no vandalism anymore in our complex. And this is what the property manager said to her. If you can keep making muffins, you can live here rent-free. Good deal, huh? She's all, make all the muffins in the world that you want. What did she realize? I may not be able to go out and stop them with force. I'm not going to go 
take a gun. I'm not going to put a badge on. I'm not going to. How am I going to make, make a change around me? I'm going to do what I'm good at. See, why don't you look at what God has given you and gifted you to do and just do that and let the power of the Holy Spirit influence that to make a difference. If we would just look at the way God sees us, you and I, we wouldn't have arrogance, but we would certainly have confidence. Confidence that God could accomplish his purpose in our lives. And then there's one final thing, and that is in verse 6. Be mindful of this. All needs require the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, then they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid, laid hands on them. I want you just to think about this. When was the last time you laid hands on somebody who was meeting the needs of a benevolence need? We don't remember that. But in this passage, they're laying hands on people and asking that God would fill them once again with the Spirit so they can make sure that the distribution of food to the widows is done well. Now, we think about when you're sending out a missionary or something spiritual like what happens on the platform, then we need to pray. But we don't need to pray for an usher. Oh, yes, we do. We don't need to pray for a greeter. Oh, yes, we do. Why? Because what they're doing is just as spiritual as anything else that happens on a Sunday morning. I need to see this. Everything in the church is served through the power of God's spirit. So we think, oh, that's administration. That's logistics. Don't you think that God cares about administration and logistics? Did you know that administration is actually a spiritual gift? And some people have it, and some people don't, right? And we know the ones that don't. But what if we realize that everything is spiritual? That means everything that we do, there is this reality that, that every, every Sunday morning, I watched it, our ushers gather in a circle, and they pray. Why? Because they realize what they're doing is not just logistics. It's a spiritual dynamic of what's happening. We know, oh, children's ministry, that's spiritual because you're caring for kids. But you think, well, I don't want to, if I'm going to do a children's ministry, I'm not going to teach, I'll hold babies. That's not very spiritual. No, that's extremely spiritual. What if a two-month-old gets dropped off in the nursery and mom and dad want to come into church and act like adults for 90 minutes and not, be, not have to constantly care for the needs of their baby and they're able to be in fellowship with other people, they're able to participate in worship, they can actually hear teaching and God does something profound in their life. That nursery worker holding that baby for 90 minutes is as spiritual as anything that happens in this room because it all collectively works together. That's why we have to see this. There are no insignificant roles and everybody serves. Everybody, because this is the way God has wired and intended the church to be. So what if you and I saw the opportunities to meet needs and realize that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through collectively the church, can meet the needs of people? I'll close with a couple things. I'll ask the worship team to come and join me. But what happens when we, we see needs as our opportunity to meet them and we jump in? Things that we never thought could get done, get done. So when we were living up in Oregon a couple years before we re relocated back down here, we had bought a house and... Um, I think I've mentioned once or twice or about a thousand times, it rains in Oregon all the time. And the house that we bought was a nice house, but it had the original roof on it. And so for five years, five years, I battled Swiss cheese in my roof. There were holes everywhere, and every year I would get more tar, and I would get tarps, and I would try to patch, and I would try all these different things because so I, I don't have the money to do this. I don't have the skill to do this. And so finally one year, I think I was working three leaks at once. And it's just like, it's like the flood in, you know, like Noah's flood. It's just like coming down. And I'm like, I'm spending more time in my attic than I am in the first floor of my house. And finally, Kim and I sat down. I said, honey, we've got to figure out, because it's going to destroy everything inside the house. We've got to do something. And so I called one of my friends in the church, a contractor, and I said, hey, do you have some numbers for some good roofers in our city? And he goes, yeah, here's a couple names. And so I called them. They came out and they did some bids. And then they gave me their bid. And I'm like, oh, my word. I should go into roofing. 
I could make a good living. And so I sat down, when Kim and I sat down, we're like, there's no way. There's just no possible way we could afford that. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to buy more tarps and more tar and more patches and whatever. And after about a week or so, that contractor in the church, he called me. And he said, listen, he goes, some of us, I made, he goes, I made some other people aware that you guys need a new roof. And he said, we, we want to make sure you get that new roof. So here's what we're going to do. He goes, I, I got all my contractor friends in the church and we got some other people and we're going to buy all the supplies and we're going to show up and we're going to get you a new roof. So he said, the only thing we require is if as long as you're up there stripping off the old stuff with us, swinging a hammer, I said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. So for three days, this is the funny part. Three days, we had like six contractors on our roof. You know how fun it is to work with six contractors that think they know what they're doing and they're all telling everybody else what they're doing is wrong? It was very entertaining. But three days later, we had a brand new roof. I didn't have the money. I didn't have the skill. But collectively, God brought the people who had the gifts to make it happen so it accomplished the purpose. That's the church. That's what we're supposed to be. So you think, well, I can't do it my, on my own. You're not supposed to do it on your own, but you're supposed to do it under the power of the Holy Spirit collectively together to accomplish God's purpose. And I want us to see that. I've shared this before, but, and that always reminds me because this is in my office. John Looney gave it to me early on, but this is a phrase I've always used. I grew up going to a skating rink, and when I was younger, and I think they still do this, but it's not ice skating, it's Southern California, roller skating. They always have segments in the night where it's certain levels of expertise in skating or it's couples. So it's like expert or it's backwards or it's couples or whatever. And so only people who know how to skate that way are on the rink. Everybody else on the sidelines. And I always hated that because I couldn't skate very well. I could skate slowly in a straight line going forward. That was really limited. So my time in the night was when everybody, all the experts would finish and then the, the guy would come over the PA and he'd say, okay, everybody, it's an all skate. Yes. That means losers like me get a chance to skate, right? But then everybody got to collectively, regardless of your expertise level, you all got to skate. That's the church. It's an all skate all the time. Oh, no, 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 you don't, no, 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 it's an all skate. You're like, but I, I can't even, I never even put a, a pair of skates on before. I don't know how to do that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the collective resource of the church, we can do what God's called us to do. And God wants us to do this. And so this morning, I want you to think about yourself in terms of what we started the service with or we started the message with. That's this. Some of you are the missing pieces of the mosaic. Again, please hear me. This is not about filling holes. I don't even have a list of openings that I'm thinking about. This is just what's in the passage and what we need to grasp. But some of you, because the enemy has lied to you and he's told you you're not gifted or he's caused you to think you're too busy to serve, or that somebody else will take care of that need. He's gotten you to buy into a lie that has put you on the sidelines for too long. And God's saying, I'm drawing you back into the mosaic because the picture's incomplete. And until you jump back in, it'll never be what it's supposed to be. So with that in mind this morning, I'm going to pray in a moment. We're going to sing one last song. The song's called Fullness. And the song is, again, a cry for the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I want us to do that because I, I want us to capture this. As much as we've walked through in the last couple months of contending to be filled with the Spirit, both on Sunday morning in our community groups, and I've seen people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's been powerful, but we always think of it in context of, God, I need more courage. God, I need more boldness. God, I need transformation. God, I need healing. But we always forget that, God, I need the ability to serve where I don't think I can serve. I need the ability to meet a need that I don't think I can meet. 
That is just as powerful as God's healing, God's gift, gifting you with the gift of tongues, God bringing his power on your physical body, whatever it is, all of those combined are equally as valuable and important as what? Serving God's purpose through the church. So I'm going to pray in a moment, then we're going to stand and we're going to sing this last song. And I want it to be just our cry collectively. Open yourself up that God might fill you again with his spirit to empower you to do what he's called you to do. So let's pray. Jesus, Antioch is your church and we are your people. And Lord, you call us your bride because your bride is beautiful. But Lord, even in the beauty that we currently have because of what you've done for us, it's not as full as it could be. It's not as complete as you want it to be. And we have yet to fully become the church that you dream of. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray, by your power, would you come by your spirit again? Would you fill us with gifts and abilities and power and courage and confidence, Lord, to do whatever it is that you call us to do, Lord, to step into those places where we meet those needs around us so that collectively every last piece of the mosaic comes home and is placed in just the right place to complete the beauty of the church. We thank you, Jesus. Would you come and fill us with your spirit once again in your name?